2: This football season will be different, and Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day no matter how you watch this season. Pepsi is a refreshment you need to power through game day and become a member of the League of Football Watchers. Because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game, it's made for those who watch it. Pepsi, made for football, watching. You are Locked On Bengals, your daily Cincinnati Bengals podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your
1: team every day.
2: What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Lockdown Bengals Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Jake Lisko, along with your other host, James Rapine. Today, we're going to tell you the details that we have about Joe Burrow's surgery. Head coach Zach Taylor and edge defender Sam Hubbard both talked about Joe Burrow flying west on Monday. In preparation for his surgery, we'll give you all of those details in the first part of the show today. And then we are going to get into our mock draft Monday segment. We're going to talk a little bit about an off season approach, a philosophical, I guess, question of how do you address free agency? How do you address the top of the draft given where this team is, given that you've got Joe Burrow and how would it change potentially if there's a coaching staff change in the off season? Because that is a question that we don't have the answer to yet. And in that spirit, James raised a great point, and that is a conversation around how do you tell if the players are playing hard because they're professionals, they're doing it for themselves, every piece of tape they put out there contributes to what they get paid in the future? How do you differentiate between a player playing hard and a player who is bought in? That is a question we're going to talk about. We're going to question that conventional wisdom a little bit, poke some holes in it, just for the sake of discussion, to play a little devil's advocate, perhaps, with the broadcast that yesterday said, hey, these guys are still playing hard. Zach Taylor still has this locker room. And that was kind of brought up in response to at least Jesse's article from last week. We'll dive into that conversation as well as perhaps some conversation around, well, what about other coaches that have been in similar situations to Zach Taylor having a rough start to their careers? Bengals history, recent NFL history. There's many examples of unsuccessful coaches out there. We'll take a look at some of those today as well. But we'll get started with the news we've got to share on Joe Burrow. James, we learned that Joe Burrow on Monday was on his way to California for his ACL and MCL repair surgery. That's right. It won't be Dr. James Andrews, the very famous and well-known knee repairs or orthopedic surgeon, really. It will instead be Dr. Neil Elitrash, He is an orthopedic surgeon and sports medicine specialist. He's on the board of directors at Cedar sinai and he will be doing Joe Burrow surgery, the same surgeon that did Tom Brady's ACL and MCL repair. If you Google top knee surgeons, he shows up on the lists, and we know that he will be getting that surgery done midweek, and I would say, James that that means he's ahead of schedule. now, is that meaningful for his recovery timeline? Probably not. But last week, we talked to Dr. Brandon Bowers, and I think this surgery is coming a little bit earlier than we thought
0: it would. Ahead of schedule is what I want to hear for the next nine months. I hope it continues. I hope we we see him, you know, crush this surgery and get into rehab. And look, it's an uphill battle for him to be back week one. That's what Dr. Brandon Bauer said. He wouldn't put money on it. You know, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but it was something to that effect. Well, I would never bet against Joe Burrow. And hopefully this is the first of many steps to him getting back and uh, in, in being 100 percent, by the way, in returning to the field for week one in 2021. By the way, I just want to uh, do, just quick disclaimer for all of our listeners, Jake. Dr. Elitrash did pass. Our very vast and long evaluation process, we, we spent hours and hours and hours Googling him, looking at his history. We realized he worked on the GOAT, Tom Brady, and he does seem extremely qualified to perform this surgery. So, But, but in all seriousness, Jake, I do think it is a good sign that we're not talking about 40 days from now that he's having the surgery, right, or 40 days from tearing it. We're talking literally 10 to 12 days he's having the surgery. And we don't know the exact day yet, but like Zach Taylor said, it'll be midweek.
2: I'm going to be very curious to see if we actually get a full account of what the surgery repairs. We did hear that there was potentially some other structural damage. The only details we've heard about that come from Adam Schefter on Monday Night Football last week when we heard that there was something going on with the meniscus and the PCL. No updates since that time, and we'll see if we get anything when he comes out of the surgery. It is worth noting that Ian Rapoport's tweet that talked about the fact that Burrow was going out west to have that ACL repair performed. He said that he's expected to make a full recovery, and if there was any doubt, which I don't think there really was, after reports went back and forth about whether the Bengals found worse news than expected or better news than expected a full recovery now confirmed from Ian Rappaport, which is good news if there is any remaining anxiety out there for Bengals fans.
0: And standards are high for Burrow, as always, right? I, I think the organization, not that they expect him to just crush it and be super far ahead of schedule, but I was listening to to the Bengals Booth podcast, and uh, CJ Uzama told a good story because obviously he's rehabbing. He's walking, by the way, so good for Uzama and, and reportedly uh, or he says he's ahead of schedule, so the, consider the source there, right? That's uh, good news from Uzama. But he said that that Nick Cosgray, who's one of the Bengals' uh, head trainers, he does a lot of the the rehab stuff, and he's working with these guys to, to get him back on the field, that Burrow last week was flexing his left knee and moving his knee, and he told Nick, and again, this is according, according to Uzama, that it didn't hurt nearly as bad as it did just a couple days prior when he suffered the injury. Um, and he was doing different things that he wasn't really expecting to do. And Cosgray told Uzama, quote, This guy's a beast and his pain tolerance must be crazy out of this world. And so I, I think that bodes well. One, you have a determined guy, a focused guy in Burrow. We know how he attacks every challenge that seems to come his way. And so when you have that attitude, and we saw it moments after he left FedEx field, right? Where he tweets out, see you next year. You can't get rid of me that easy. I think he's already focused on, all right, let's get the surgery and let's hit this rehab as soon as we can. And I, I think that's, that's a, a great, great sign if you're a Bengals fan. And the fact, again, that he has high pain tolerance and is already impressing the Bengals training staff. I think that's another of the many reasons why Bengals fans are smiling when they think about Joe Burrow. Speaking of reasons to smile, it's mock draft Monday, which brings a smile to Jake's face. And even though a couple weeks ago I was against it, I'm smiling as well. We'll get to that next. But thanks to a lack of natural athleticism or commitment for overbearing sports parents, fewer than 1% of 1% of 1% of people will ever play professional football. But instead of entering the NFL, they've joined another league, the League of Football Watchers. This football season will be different, and Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day no matter how you watch. Like this Sunday, when we watch to see if Zach Taylor can out coach Brian Flores, Pepsi is the refreshment you need to power through any game day because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game, it's made for those who watch it. Pepsi, made for football, watching.
2: Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com/slash credit card. James, you said that I like mock draft Monday and I'm smiling. I know a player that brings a smile to your face. That's Jalen waddle Also, Pene Suel. So, both of these guys at the top of their class, potentially depending on who you believe in, maybe you have Jamar Chase at the top of your board. I don't care. It's late November at this point. I'm not going to grill you over your board or your rankings yet. But here's a philosophical question for you, James. Would you rather spend $18 million a year on an offensive lineman and then draft, say, Jalen Waddell, or spend that $18 million a year in free agency on a wide receiver and draft Pene Suell? And keep in mind the, the trade back ramifications that could go along with that. If you don't want Sewell, you could potentially bump back a few spots if you found the right trade partner and still get one of the wide receivers you really want. So which of those ideas appeals to you more today here in late November?
0: Well, it's it's pretty simple because obviously this is locked on Bengals, and we're talking about the Bengals. And what do the Bengals do well? Well, they don't draft offensive linemen well, Jake. And that's why they've been so damn bad for years and years and years and years and years now, it seems like. It's been five, by the way. Five years is the actual answer. But it, it feels much more than half a decade. And it's because they've failed in the trenches. So that's that's the part that I don't want to leave to risk or chance. Like, even if they drafted Sewell, I want to get someone else in there just in case. What if he is overwhelmed? What if he does get injured like Jonah Williams? I I don't want to deal with that problem. But if I had to pick one or the other, and that's what we're doing here, we're making a decision based on that, I would say, okay, they evaluated and found T Higgins. They evaluated and found Tyler Boyd. I think they're pretty good at finding those receivers. Oh, well, they got it wrong on John Ross. Okay, well, 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 that's the one receiver they got it wrong about. But overall, as long as they're drafting a receiver relatively early, and that doesn't necessarily mean in round one, right? Round two, round three. I think they could get a really talented player. As far as the tackles go, as far as the offensive line in general, I need you to spend money. And that might mean paying a, a guard big time money and still drafting Sewell. Or, you know, it might be something like that and not the, the exact scenario you're painting. But if I had to pick, it would be draft receiver, go get proven commodity at tackle because this proven commodity is proven. It's not a guy in Sewell who might be a generational talent, but 99% of us haven't watched him play one damn snap at Oregon. Let's be real here, especially not one live snap. And so until we do, until we start evaluating him and looking, I mean, he opted out this year, I, it, you know, he's not playing. So it's, uh, it's one of the many things that are going to go into the evaluation process. So if I had to go with a veteran at, at one of those spots, as much as I love receivers and some of these wide receivers that are going to be free agents, I would go with the tackle.
2: I think it's really interesting because you could get a guy like Alan Robinson and come back and drafts too well. You could get a guy like Kenny Galladay or Will Fuller or even spend a little bit less money probably on Curtis Samuel. All those guys sound great. You can also go the other way and say, hey, in free agency, I can, a, I can sign a Brandon Scherf or a Joe Tooney or your boy Trent Williams is a free agent, although I bet he goes back to San Francisco. There are a number of guys out there available at the tackle position, including some guys coming off of rookie contracts that will probably get huge raises in free agency. But I do think it's a little bit less deep at offensive line. You can go all the way down to Taylor Moten from Carolina. I think that's a guy coming off a rookie deal that is going to get a massive raise. He's currently making $1 million per year. That's probably going to shoot up to, like I said, right around that $18 million a year mark. And that probably means that you're moving on from Bobby Hart, which probably means Hakeem Adenogy becomes your swing tackle next year. Now on the other hand, maybe they maybe they do exactly like you said. They they go out and they they pay the money for Joe Tooney playing on the franchise tag in New England this year. From Dayton, Ohio, was a guy that we we had on our free agent target list last year. And exactly like you said, they could do that and draft Pene Suell. And maybe they've cut heart to help afford the other offensive lineman. You have Suell to slot in as your starter, and and now you're in that same situation. It's just a really interesting class. It's really deep at tackle. I was looking at this today, James, and there could be like six, seven first round tackles with another four potentially in the second round. I mean, it's a very good looking tackle class. We talked about Daniel Jeremiah's got Rashawn Slater as his number one tackle in the class ahead of Penesuel. There's Alex Leatherwood from Alabama who could have come out and been a first rounder last year. Same thing for Sam Cosme out of Texas. Could have been a first rounder last year. Uh, Darisaw from Virginia Tech has taken a huge leap forward, as has Eichenberg from Notre Dame. You can make similar arguments for Christensen from BYU playing with that BYU quarterback everybody loves so much. I mean, obviously some strength of competition worries there, but he's having a fantastic season for a small school guy. It's just a very long list. Walker Little not playing this year, but was seen as a blue chip prospect going into Stanford. Jackson Carmen from Clemson. There's just a wealth of offensive line depth in this class. And by contrast, James, where this becomes difficult is what the Bengals need a wide receiver is a specific skill set, which is speed explosion separation suddenness and that's your Jalen waddles your Devonta Smiths and there aren't as many of those in this draft class there there's a lot of really talented receivers don't get me wrong but once you get into that second tier
0: the archetype of receiver is not speedster and that's the balance right is because you you want to do both (laughs) you you have to 100% shore up the offensive line but you need a downfield threat and I think it's debatable on You know T. Higgins. What can he become? Is he a is he a one? Is he a two? I I I don't know. Here's what I do know. He's really good, but he's probably not going to stretch the field. He'll, He'll be a contested catch type of guy. And you need someone to to stretch that field, like you said, that that makes big plays happen. Because Tyler Boyd is great. He's not that. T. Higgins doesn't appear to be that at this stage. So it's one or the other. They're going to invest either a premium draft pick and receiver again, or th- they're going to have to to spend at least mid-tier money, right? You mentioned Curtis Samuel or someone like that. Mid-tier money on a a speedster that can help. And I don't even know. Samuel is, is good, but I don't know how much he stretches the field either. I'm not saying he's not a playmaker because he certainly is, and you can use him in a bunch of ways and get creative. But I don't know if he's that – that field stretcher. So that's the other thing here is if that's the specific thing you're looking for, that isn't Kenny Galladay on the free agent market, right? That's Allen Robinson. That's Will Fuller. That, that really does limit you some. And I wonder if they'll do that because they did that in 2016 and 2017, right? They wanted Will Fuller in the draft. He didn't fall to them. So they drafted William Jackson. Then they go after John Ross. Why? Right. Because they thought he could be the perfect complement and fit perfectly in their offense. Well, maybe it isn't the best fit on paper if you get one of those other guys, but Joe Burrow might make it a good fit. Joe Burrow might still have success with it, right? So that's the other thing is I don't want to harp on speed too much. Obviously you don't need a a slow possession guy on the outside at the same time. uh, If you can find a receiver, that's going to make big plays and they, let's say they run a four, six and not a four, four. I'm not going to lose sleep over that because I, I still think that they could have, you know, a big, you know, big impact on this offense. Given who they have right now, and that means someone who's consistent in that third wide receiver spotter, uh, gives them a, a trio of wide receivers that are consistent. Because right now, outside of Boyden Higgins, there isn't a third guy that's that's emerged and has been able to make plays.
2: Well, look at like Terry McLaurin, right? Like he didn't run an incredible forty. I mean, you look at Keenan Allen, one of the best receivers in the league, runs like a four eight. I think that's an exaggeration, but he's not fast. Like that's not the strength of his game. So it doesn't necessarily need to be a speedster. There's going to be some Ohio State fans that really want the Bengals to draft Chris Olave in this draft, for example. And he's a great route runner. He could be, he could be, you know, that Keenan Allen kind of guy. I'm not making that comparison, but stylistically, I don't think Olave is as fast. I I just, when I see like Jalen Waddle or Devonta Smith, Devonta Smith is my guy. In this draft, I thought he was going to come out last year. I thought the Bengals might have a chance at him. I think he's a little bit older now. So there is something to consider there with age for these guys. Pane Suel, 20 years old. Jamar Chase, another young guy at wide receiver. So uh, something that we talk about every year when it comes to draft time, You you want to generally draft these guys that are better younger. And that can always be a challenge to find. I also think it's interesting because you talk about a guy like Kenny Galladay. That guy Mm. can stretch the field. And he's not, like you said, he's not a burner. He's stretching the field as a possession kind of guy, similar to how, you know, you would hope T. Higgins comes along and develops. You talk about Curtis Samuel. That's a guy that a lot of people who watch the Carolina receivers closely, I own all three of them in our Dynasty ESPN Locked On League. And, you know, he's a guy that, can win vertically. And a lot of people think that DJ Moore and, and Curtis Samuel Carolina are kind of miscast. They're in the opposite roles that they should be in. They should be using more, more for, for the, uh, for the gadget kind of plays and, and some of the runs that Curtis Samuel gets, they should be using Curtis Samuel down the field more. So Curtis Samuel going to be very interesting to watch. I mean, that's a, that's a, a topic and a player that's very near to my, my heart. So it's just interesting to see that the number of ways they can go this far out. There's so many different ways they could go.
0: And this idea that having T Higgins, but you can't and you're you you you're not of this belief, but just in general, because I, I can already hear it. Well, you already have T Higgins. Why would you want a guy like Kenny Galladay? Well, I, I said this before the draft and heck, it would have turned out great. People were like, well, why would you want Justin Jefferson? You already have Tyler Boyd. Well. I would love five Tyler Boyds, to be honest with you, because Tyler Boyd's a beast and in Justin Jefferson, same way. So I would love to have T Higgins on one side and Kenny Galladay on the other. And and I think that is kind of the key here. Harp on, are they they a playmaker, whether you get them in college or not? Are they going to make plays for you? Uh, Are they going to be able to hold up and stay healthy and all of those things? Because Samuel fits that bill. Galladay fits that bill. Some of the receivers we've talked about in this draft to fit that bill. And that's kind of the key here, Uh, not necessarily overall speed or field stretcher. I would love a Kenny Galladay on this offense. I think it would be wild to see that trio of receivers uh, week in and week out with Joe Burrow and in a quality offensive line. So who knows which route they go. But the good news is uh, I think you and I both agree that they need to go sort of all in on the offense this offseason, at least to a degree and just. Make sure Burrow has what he needs. They have their options in both the draft and in free agency of guys that could help them in both spots, the, the offensive line and wide receiver. I
2: mean, that would certainly be my preference to go all in on the offense. But hey, watch. They'll they will surprise us and take Caleb Farley or Patrick Sertan Jr., Patrick Sertan Jr. And, and go defense, go corner because, well, we know the Bengals love their corners. Anyway, there's a ton of time to talk about this. Last note I'll say is Justin Jefferson being compared to Tyler Boyd. Turns out that was just a shitty comparison. Everyone got that one wrong. Justin Jefferson can play outside just fine in Minnesota and has been absolutely dominant in that role. James, coming up next, we're going to talk about Zach Taylor some more. We're going to talk about this logical fallacy that because the players are playing hard, that necessarily indicates that they're still bought in on Zach Taylor. Is that the case? Maybe, but we'll poke some holes in it. Coming up next. Zach Taylor really needs to break through a wall to win over the hearts and minds of Bengals fans. And when you need to break through your wall, go to Built Bar's cousin, Built Go. Built Go is the healthy replacement for your energy drink, but the energy isn't fake. It's lasting. It's natural. You can take it with you in 1.5-ounce packages. It'll fit in your briefcase, your golf bag, your pocket, your purse, it's the best workout gel on the market. Five hour energy without the crash feeling. A monster energy drink with a third of the caffeine, better results, and better ingredients. It comes in three delicious flavors peanut butter, honey, chocolate, coconut, and chocolate mint. And just like those built bars, built go tastes great. How does it work? It combines energy gel with collagen protein to make it fast absorbing, gets into the system quickly easy on the stomach, has all the good stuff in it to kick off your workout or get you through your day. Beta alanine, B3, a kick of caffeine. Right now, you can get 20% off your next order. Go to BuiltGo.com. Use promo code LOCKED. That's 20% off. Promo code LOCKED at BuiltGo.com. Let's go.
1: Free dessert for life at homechef.com slash locked on. That's homechef.com slash locked on for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. Homechef.com slash locked on. Must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert.
0: Zach Taylor's seat could be getting hotter. I feel like, Jake, that this is something we're going to be talking about over the next five weeks for sure. Will Zach stay? Will he go? On Monday, Taylor was asked,
3: how he's getting these players and the front office to buy in. Yeah, we, you know, my communication with the players is we, we show them the tape. We, we show them where the mistakes are. We show them the, the directions we're headed in the right way. Um, oftentimes this thing has come down to one play, and and we got we to gotta find that way to make that one play at the end oh. of the game, and, and we just haven't done it yet. But, again, all I can say is that when you stand in front of the team at the end of a game, um, win or loss, and you preach to those guys, you, you know that, they're all in it together and they believe in what we're doing and they can see it because they see it every day in practice. They see it on the game tape. They they know where we're close and we're just not getting it done yet. And, and that's our focus is, is keeping these guys together. Um, That hasn't been as difficult as some might think it is just because we're we're trying to build it of the right talent and character combined. And, and that has really helped us through these trying times. And um, you know, the other part, you just, you just, we we keep doing everything that we believe in and, and keep making progress and, um, I know there's a day where we're going to bust down this wall and there's going to be some great times ahead. I know that right now. It's it's um, very difficult sometimes when you deal with these losses, but um, I also know what, what our future holds for us, and, and we just we got to keep working towards that. And, and these two years that we've endured um, will serve us, serve us incredibly well in the future when we win a lot of football games, we're playing for championships. Um, these will be times that we look back on and reflect on as, as almost necessary for for uh, where we end up being. Zach, with those four wins in two years, do you feel any extra pressure personally as you get close to the end of year two? I feel pressure every single day to be urgent, um, to do my job the best I can. And it shouldn't change. If, if you believe in the way that you're approaching things and, and what your vision is, um, it shouldn't change based on based on wins or losses. Uh, you know, I'm I, we tell the guys we want consistent players as they walk through the building every single day. We need to know what to expect from them. Um, I, I sure as heck are not going to be any different than the day I was the day I showed up on the job and um, believe in what the staff is asking these players to do, believe that the players have bought in and they know that this is the right way to do it. And and we're not going to change just because of um, we're not going to change our personalities or the way we go about our business just because of of the, the trials that we face. And Zach can
0: believe it. And, you know, this coaching staff can believe it. Heck, I think some of the players probably do believe it. But the reality, Jake, when you're four, twenty two and one and potentially four twenty seven and one after two seasons, not many fans are going to believe it, no matter what he does down the stretch here. And if you're the Bengals front office, if you're Mike Brown, Katty Blackburn, Troy Blackburn, you have to have a a real talk about where you're going to go, the direction you're headed, the changes you need to make because you you can't sit on your hands here if you're talking about a four win head coach that has back-to-back two-win seasons. Oh, and by the way, you've only had three, and this is assuming they lose this year, the the final five games. You only have three two-win seasons in your franchise's history. So that's just interesting, by the way, uh, what Zach says. He's clearly confident that they're going to get things turned around, and at times they have felt close. But when you look at that record, back-to-back two-win seasons, uh, which is what they're staring at right now, that is not a uh, – That is not close. That's far from close. And they they haven't really felt farther than they are right now. It feels like exactly where they were a year ago with Burrow down.
2: Well, I think that is because that's exactly where they are without Joe Burrow, <laughs> with, with all the free agents they signed on defense, except Mackenzie Alexander being out. I mean, the team has been really ruined by injuries. But as, as we said multiple times, that's not an excuse. Every team deals with it in the NFL. San Francisco has been more injured than the Bengals, and they are five and six. They just beat the Rams with Nick Mullins at quarterback. And Kyle Shanahan, I mean, how many times have I said, I want one of those? And I tweeted today, James, I was thinking about what makes a good Bengals head coach? And there's three things that I came up with. There's the basic administration, the baseline tasks of every NFL head coach. You have to get your practices structured. You have to do all the scheduling, all that administration. You have to be a good communicator to your players and your coaches. You need to make sure that the scheme you're implementing on offense and defense fits your players' strengths. And you have to hire great assistants because those are the guys that are going to help you do the scheme. They're the ones that are going to help you develop players so those are, those are the baseline things. In Cincinnati, one thing that's a little bit different, you have to be involved with roster building. You're more involved with personnel decisions in Cincinnati than anywhere else in the NFL. So if you're a head coach, you're an assistant coach coming into Cincinnati, you have to be ready to do a little bit more in the personnel department of your responsibilities. The last thing is very basic, just game management. And I would say that's actually where Taylor has mostly been at his best compared to the other things based on what we've heard. And along with that, I I went and I I looked. I found this NFL.com article. This was from July of this year, July of 2020. And Zach Taylor's saying all the right things. All these players are talking to. They're asking, what makes a great coach? They're talking to Jared Goff. Frank Gore, Larry Fitzgerald, Travis Kelsey, Jack Conklin, Kalias Campbell, Demario Davis, Richard Sherman, guys that have been around, guys that have been at the top of the league in many cases. And they all kind of say similar things. You want a steady coach. You want a communicative coach. You want a coach that's going to put a great staff together, have a great scheme and great understanding of what he's asking the players to do. But how much of that is Zach Taylor doing? I think that is exactly the question that you bring up, James. And he says all the right things. You're not really seeing the results. And I just don't know. How do you prove it? That's the question is the bottom line in the NFL is wins and losses as a head coach. He's not passing that criteria. So how do you prove it if not wins and losses? I just don't like as as a public consumer of information. Can we ever really know the answer to these questions?
0: Not sure. Really not sure. And I don't want to hear, by the way, oh, well, they're still trying hard. Because it's, it's players' jobs to try hard, and we really don't know how... Like, for example, everyone outside of Carlos Dunlap has, has tried hard this year, but I guarantee you there are guys in this locker room that don't believe in him, and him being Zach Taylor. Don't believe that they are going to get it turned around. Like, if you're A.J. Green, are you sure you're, you're buying in? If you're anyone not named, you know, any of the young guys, even a guy like Tyler Boyd, are are you sure you're buying into things? You were great before Zach Taylor. It's not like Zach Taylor unleashed you and you became this thousand yard receiver. And and I'm not saying those guys don't believe my point is though, like Boyd's going to try regardless of who's coaching him. Mike Brown could come down and be the head coach and he's going to try hard. Like that's, that doesn't change. And, and so that's the tough part here. And so when Zach says, Winning is all we think about and winning is on our mind and winning is what we want to do. And that's it. And it sucks. But we're going to get over that hump. Well, really, you've won 17 percent of your games and not many coaches have recovered from that. (laughs) That's after two years. That's just the reality of it. And and so I don't know. I, I think the verdict is in unless he does something and pulls a rabbit out of a hat. But again, and I'll have to always preface it this way it matters what the people upstairs at Paul Brown stadium think. And they're the ones who are going to make the final decision. I do think though, if they feel fan pressure like they did in 2018 with Marvin, that they know they might have to react to that because they're going to be fans in the stands in 2021, hopefully. And that's, that's an important part of it after you've won only four games in two years, which again, I guess we're assuming that that's going to be the case with five, You know, I've said it multiple times. There's still five games left, Jake. I just don't expect them to win any of them.
2: I think that's very fair, James, and I think that it will be challenging. I do think that there is a logical fallacy that you point out that trying hard doesn't necessarily mean that they're bought in. It doesn't necessarily mean that they're not either. There's just no way to really know. But like you said before we started recording, if you don't like your boss and you care about your job, you care about your personal, I don't know, standards for yourself, you're still going to push yourself hard at work. That doesn't go away in the NFL. Last thing I want to note. We'll we'll maybe hit on some other coaches in the future. Dave Shula for the Bengals got a little bit over four years. He was five and eleven, three and thirteen, three and thirteen, seven and nine, and then the Coslet and Shula year was eight and eight. Then Koslet got another few years, seven and nine, three and thirteen, four and twelve, and then he was done in two thousand. Dick LeBeau comes on finishes the year 4-12, 6-10, 2-14, one of those two-win seasons you're talking about. And then Marvin Lewis comes along. So the Bengals have a history of showing patience with these guys. They haven't fired a coach after two years since, I don't know, you'd have to go back to the 70s probably, right after uh, Paul Brown stopped coaching the team. So it's it's been a while. It's been a while. The Bengals give these guys some leash. We'll have to see what the rest of the season and what the offseason holds in the future for Zach Taylor and this team. That's going to do it for this episode of the Locked On Bengals podcast. We're back tomorrow with the mailbag. To participate, make sure you're following the Locked On Bengals Twitter account. That's where we will take your questions. Until then, Bengals fans, have a good one. Hey, Prime members.